I have something to confess. How do you feel when you say that? How do you feel when somebody else says that to you? Welcome to episode 166 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michelle, Nancy, Margo, and Eric. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Michelle, Nancy, Margo, and Eric for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. And I'm recording this episode outside, uh, so you will hear uh, insect noises, bird noises, and the occasional airplane flying overhead, uh, as we are in the flight path from the local airport. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be a discussion of the topic, which is self-examination, confession, redemption, and forgiveness. Following a short break, we'll talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. The reading from our daily reader, Courage to Change. This is August 23rd. I developed a tremendous fear of making mistakes. It seemed crucial to cover every possible outcome because mistakes often led to an avalanche of accusations and abuse from the alcoholic and eventually from myself. My self-esteem diminished because the slightest error felt huge and I couldn't let it go. So I began to cover up and rationalize my mistakes, all the while desperately trying to maintain an appearance of perfect self-control. In Al-Anon, I learned to take down that rigid wall of seeming perfection to honestly admit mistakes, to open myself for growth. Step 10, in which I continue to take my inventory and promptly admit when I am wrong, has been liberating because it challenges me daily to be honest. Sometimes it makes me squirm, but I know that when I tell the truth, I am free of the lies that held me back. As Mark Twain put it, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Today's reminder, I will probably make a mistake of some sort every day of my life. If I view this as a personal failing or pretend that no mistakes have occurred, I make my life unmanageable. When I stop struggling to be perfect and admit when I am wrong, I can let go of guilt and shame. That is cause for rejoicing. I wanted to focus in today. I started with the word confession, but I realized that in our program, it's really more than that. And it really starts... It really starts with uh, an open and searching and fearless inventory of ourselves, of our actions, of our part in things. And that's, of course, step four, which leads then to confession, to sharing what we have found with ourselves, with another human being, and with the God of our understanding. And from there... We can move forward to owning our faults and being ready to 
Accept change, step six. Asking for change, step seven. Admitting to people that we have harmed what we did and how we are changing in steps eight and nine, which allows us, brings us to a place where we can find redemption and forgiveness. And I guess I feel that redemption, in a sense, is self-forgiveness. And perhaps we can find forgiveness from those we have harmed as well. And it starts at the center of that whole process is this, this notion of confession. I want to start, I think, by recalling an incident that occurred prior to me coming into the Al-Anon program that I think is representative of the way in which I lived and acted and reacted before before recovery. I was fairly new at my job, but had some significant responsibility. And the task we were working on involved people in in three different parts of the country. And so we would have... I think it may have been weekly phone calls to talk about what we were doing, how we were doing it, how we were, you know, how things were going, uh, what we needed to do next, uh, problems we were running into, and, and how we were going to solve them, and so on. In one of those phone calls, and I really don't remember what the provocation was now, one of the leaders, a well respected person in his field, said something that I disagreed with, and I disagreed with it very vehemently. I ended up basically yelling uh, into the phone uh, and disagreeing, uh, trying to state my own position and why I thought I was right. And shortly after that, a number of us came together for a meeting of some sort. Again, don't remember the details. What I do remember is sitting down with my peers and my boss and my boss saying effectively, what the hell happened? What was that all about? And I was apologetic. I said, yeah, I did that. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, you know, got very emotional and worked up and, and I'll try not to do it again. And, and I didn't really know why. I didn't understand what was going on with me that that happened. And, and that was not an isolated incident, unfortunately. It, it happened again and again over, over the years. I bring that up because there was a sort of confession there, but it was a confession of something that was really already obvious. There was, and I didn't, I didn't dig in. I didn't really understand what my part was. I didn't know where that reaction was coming from, and I didn't know how to change it. And so I said those words, I'm sorry, I'll try to do better. I'm sorry, I'll try to do better. And, and after that becomes a pattern for a while, uh, those really are not sufficient because obviously I'm not doing better and I can be sorry, but not really enough, not really enough. And, and it came to the point several years later where 
my boss at the time, who was um, a different person than in the in the first story, uh, in our annual uh, performance review of myself, said to me, "Look, I think you need to get some anger management counseling or something because you've got a real problem here, and you need to do something about it, or you might not be working here a lot longer." As providence or luck, your your choice would have it. Um, shortly after that, or maybe that was the year I, I came into Al-Anon and I started the, the process of the 12 steps, which I have come to understand that I can't legitimately confess a wrongdoing until I've taken the time to examine itself, to examine my role, to examine my motivations, to examine what in me is is behind what happened, what's underneath, taking it back to, often taking it back to resentment or fear, um, fear of not being good enough, fear of, fear of being wrong, and understanding what my part is. And, and then I can honestly confess and I can own it. For me, owning, owning my faults, owning my character defects, owning those things that I would like to be different about myself, it's not possible if I just keep them in my head. I can deny things that are just in my head. I can say, well, yeah, true, but it's not, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not really true. But if I, have really confessed them to another person. And, and to me, that's, that's really the hardest part. Confessing to myself, not easy sometimes, not easy owning up to a fault. Confessing to God is, is probably the easiest, especially given my somewhat shaky understanding of higher power. But confessing to another person makes it real for me. And I think that the, the men who put together, I think it was all men, but anyway, the people who put together the 12 steps really were wise in including that confession to another person. So I need to make it real because if I don't make it real, if I don't, it, then I'm not able to move forward to step six, which is one of the hardest steps it's one of the ones that seems simplest. Step six is became entirely ready to have our higher power remove all our uh, shortcomings or defects of character or something. I forget the exact wording. I personally can't be entirely ready until I really own in all humility the things that I want to change. That I understand to my deepest level and in my heart as well as my head, that that these are things that are part of me. And I can't do that without, without confession. I just can't. Um, and if I can't own it, I can't be entirely ready to have it removed. And I can't move forward to step seven in which I ask for things to be removed. I ask for change. Um, I ask for help in, in making those changes. And I can't make honest amends in step nine. I made direct amends to 
those people we had harmed. I can't do that without owning it. That's the, I'm sorry, I'll try not to do it better. If I don't own it, those are the words. They may be different words, but that's the feeling. I'm sorry, I'll try to do better. I'm sorry, I'll try to do better. I'm sorry, I'll try to do better. When I really own my fault, when I am really ready to make a change, when I really know my part and know where this behavior that caused harm is coming from, at least to some depth, then I can make honest amends. Then I can be honest and true in the statement that I am working to change. And I, when I know where it's coming from, I can also make a statement of how I am changing, how I am making an amend. Because just saying I'm sorry for me is often not the fullness of an amend. The fullness is in knowing that I won't, to the best of my ability, I won't do it again, that I'm making a positive change to prevent such harm from happening again. And all of that comes from the scariest two of the scariest of the 12 steps, at least for me, coming in, which was the searching and fearless moral inventory in step four and admitting to another human being in step five. Because I always just wanted to hide. I wanted to hide my faults. I wanted to hide my fears. I wanted to deny them. And if I, if I was to tell you, I can't deny them anymore. And... And if I tell the wrong person, then that's going to come back on me. And, and so I have fear of some kind of exposure, shame, shame comes into that. Uh, and Al-Anon has given me a safe place, has given me safe people to whom I can make that confession openly and know that it will be kept in confidence and know that the person to whom I am making this confession is motivated only out of love, that, that special kind of love that our closing speaks of. We love you in a very special way. An unconditional love that does not seek to fix, does not seek to change, but accepts and continues to love regardless reminds me of a reading it is tied to the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur which is the day of atonement and the refrain is we forgive ourselves and each other and we begin again in love and I found that I found that here that I can I can stumble. I can be human and I can be forgiven and I continue to be in in that loving of the group of the program and of my family. We can begin again in love. We can recommit because because we know that 
we are being honest with ourselves and with others. So confession, confession step five. We admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs is the center of this process that starts with discovery, continues with confession. I've done it in a number of different ways. Um, and over the years, I've found more and more power in that admission, in that confession. If you haven't done it, if you haven't done it yet, for me, being able to say those things that I held in my heart that I was afraid to say out loud, to be able to say those to somebody and be met with acceptance and be met with love is a really powerful experience and I had never experienced anything like it before. I know that I approached it with fear. I approached it with fear of rejection. I approached it with fear of shame. And that didn't happen. And it has not happened in my experience. And I'm sure that there are those, maybe, maybe you're listening to my voice now, who did not find that love and acceptance in, in your practice of step five. And my heart goes out to you. And I hope that you will choose another person and try again because it can be an uplifting and moving and enlightening experience. The practice of self-examination and confession becomes easier for me, has become easier for me with practice. That each time that I do it, it's easier. And I tend to do it now, I'll say on a daily basis, I tend to do it in the spirit of step 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And doing that, recognizing when I have misstepped, when I have reacted emotionally and being able to quickly look at that, do that inventory, say what was going on there, identify if I have harmed somebody, make immediate amends to them, it helps to keep my serenity, it helps to keep my life moving evenly, it keeps me from that feeling that I used to have so, so often of guilt and of shame when I would re-encounter somebody that I knew I had harmed, that I knew I had done something wrong, but I had not yet openly admitted it. I had not yet made any amends um, for that behavior. Then I would feel that, that guilt and that shame and that feeling of avoidance. Oh, I can't, I, I, I can't, see that person right now, I'm, I'm going to turn around and walk this other direction uh, because I'm carrying, I'm carrying the weight of, of something that happened. And it might turn out that it was nothing to them or not. But I, 
when I, when I confess it and when I make direct amends, then at least I don't have to carry that hidden guilt and shame and, and feeling that I need to avoid people. It makes my life so much easier. So that's my thoughts on self-examination, confession, and ultimately redemption and forgiveness. Thanks for listening. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 166, is Jessica Andrews with her song, Who I Am. I picked this because it's a song about knowing knowing who you are and you know loving who you are and accepting who you are. A little bit of lyrics here. I'm going to be just fine because I know exactly who I am. So when I make a big mistake, when I fall flat on my face, I know I'll be all right. Should my tender heart be broken, I will cry those teardrops knowing I will be just fine because nothing changes who I am. this section of the podcast, we talk about our life in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. It's been a couple of weeks since I talked to you. Last weekend was uh, was my birthday, turned 61. It was going to be a fairly low-key day because my wife was at a retreat. We were going to celebrate it uh, together with my daughter another day. Low-key weekend, I guess, totally. And Sunday morning, I was sitting in the church service, and I got a text message from my wife that, for some reason, I happen to notice it. I often don't don't notice those things when I'm otherwise occupied. I should have had my phone totally on silent, but it, it vibrated at me. The message said, please call urgent. So I need to back up a little bit, I guess. Uh, Friday night, as... She was heading off for the retreat. She had loaned her car to a friend whose car is less than reliable, or I'm, yeah, that's true, Salmon. And, and that person was, was leaving later than, than my wife who was riding with friends. So Friday night, I got a phone call, which I didn't notice until later, um, from the friend who left a voicemail saying, it's urgent, uh, car emergency. I'm like, oh no. So I called back, and what had happened was they went to put gas in the car, and the gas filler tube basically had rusted where it attaches to the car body. It had rusted out, and so it fell down, and gasoline went all over the ground. And they were actually able to resolve it to the point of being able to put about a half a tank of gas in the car so they could drive it the, uh, the two hours to where the retreat was happening. So emergency avoided, I thought, averted, yes, but uh, clearly there was going to have to be some repair work uh, when the car came home. A little bit of stress there, figured, oh, I'm going to replace the gas tank or something, maybe $1,000. Anyway, Sunday, I get this text from my wife, please call urgent. So I called and she was like, could you drive up here and follow the car home so in case there's a problem? Somebody, you know, will be there to uh, to help. And I was like, ah, do I have to? 
I said, really, it's really necessary. Uh, sounds like, sounds like it's drivable, uh, et cetera. And she said, well, I don't know. Let me, let me consult with my friend and call you back. And, and she did call back and say, yes, please come. Uh, so I had had some tentative plans for the afternoon that obviously were totally out the window because now I had a two hour drive up to where the retreat was and another two hour drive home. I was going to take up basically the rest of the day. But you know, what I've learned in this program is that there are things that I can't change. And the fact that the car was broken, the fact that the friend wanted company, not necessarily in the car, but nearby in case there was a problem, can't change those. That those are, those are true. Uh, and so I have the serenity to accept the things I cannot change in this situation. And I get in the car and I start driving. And, you know, it was a beautiful day. It was upper 70, maybe 80 degrees, sunny, uh, nobody else in the car with me. So I could crank up the uh, crank up the stereo, which was, of course, playing podcasts and open the window and and just have some time to enjoy the day. The traffic was not bad. And when I got to where the retreat center was, it's right on the shore of Lake Huron. And the lake was gorgeous. It was so beautiful, sort of sand beach and, and turquoise water shading out into deep blue as it gets further away from the shore. It was absolutely beautiful. And I can take joy and gratitude in the things that I find. I don't have to sit in anger and resentment of, I'm not going to do the things that I was maybe going to do this afternoon. I didn't even have specific plans, but I was maybe going to do some things. And instead, I'm driving that stupid car. Da, 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 da. No, you know, no, I can enjoy, I can enjoy what is. And, and when I took, I, I got off on the wrong exit and ended up going right through the middle of, of the city and it took me longer to get there. That was okay. You know, it was just like, all right, this is what is, this is where I am. And I'm just going to keep going forward and I'm going to do the best I can. And so I got there, um, turned out that the friend was most concerned that on the drive up, there had been just gas fumes through the throughout the car on the whole drive, and and she really didn't want to drive back in gas fumes all the way home, and so uh, wanted to maybe trade off every half hour or something as we were driving. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And so we drove for the first half hour, and she said, you know what? It's not so bad. I don't, I'm really not smelling it much. Okay, so we drove another half hour, still good. And, and same thing all the way home. Uh, and, you know, it was all okay. And actually, this, this particular friend is somebody who I, I often find, um, what, annoying, I guess is a word. Uh, and I was able to see this person in a different light that day. And I think have a little bit more love for her, a little less annoyance. So, you know, in the end, wasn't what I had planned, but there was good in it. And I can be grateful for the good. I can be grateful for the four hours of catching up on podcasts. Also, I'm a little bit behind on my podcast listening. Whatever. Uh, the next night, Monday night, we went out for dinner with my daughter to celebrate 
My birthday, it was, again, pretty low-key. We just had enjoyed dinner together. Wednesday, I gave myself a present. I mentioned how I like to go out and listen to music. And normally, I would have done that on Monday, but Monday was, was family time. And Wednesday, an old sort of uh, acoustic blues uh, duo was, was coming to town. They've been around since the 60s, and, and I've enjoyed their music quite a bit. And so they were coming to town, and, and I gave myself a present of a ticket to their show. And this show's at a, a small venue that, I don't know, probably seats a few hundred people, if, yeah, something like that couple hundred people maybe i got in line before the gate before the doors opened and and most of it is open seating there's a little bit of reserve seating that you can pay more for so i went in and i got myself a seat right at the edge of the stage so nobody's sitting in front of me i was able to really see and enjoy the music and there's no there's no bad seats in this venue but it's pretty cool to be able to sit right up front like that without having to pay an arm and a leg for it, for sure. For sure. And, you know, my wife didn't want to go, and that's okay. Um, but I did balance it because I said, you know what, I don't need to go out Monday because I am going out Wednesday. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting my one music night a week in either way. Sort of the, the deal I've made with myself, I think, that I can, I can, take one music night a week without feeling any sort of guilt or whatever about leaving my wife alone at home. Hey, let's see. Oh, an example that I'm still not fully recovered. I still have, I still have some of my codependent and, and fixing or whatever tendencies, some of my old character defects. I was in a meeting at work and my daughter called uh, and, of course, I didn't answer it right there in the meeting, but I was kind of like, why is she calling me in the middle of the day? What horrible thing happened? Because that's where my mind goes. That's where it goes. Oh, my God, something horrible happened. So she left a voicemail, and, and after the meeting, I stepped out, and, and I listened to the voicemail, and she said, I just wanted to let you know I'm so excited. We just signed a lease on a house, uh, and it's only eight blocks from uh, your house. So she and, and her partner and a friend are are going to be moving into a house that's very close to where I live, um, which is nice because it'll be easier to see her. And it'll be good, f nice for her because she's going to be back in town instead of sort of outside where sh she can only get somewhere by driving. Now she has other options. And it's pretty cool. And a house, not just, not even just an apartment. Uh, so uh, that was exciting. And, you know, there I go. The worst must have happened. No, because why else would she be calling me in the middle of the day? It's got to be something bad. That's right where I go. Um, so I still need to understand that, you know, I guess my higher power's got it. And I don't have to, I don't have to hold on to and control everything to make sure that nothing bad happens. Yeah, guess that's a way to put it. Uh, yesterday my step meeting so we have this this table meeting thing in Michigan where a meeting is has one or more tables maybe 10 people sitting around a table um, that have independent discussions after the meeting opens 
And this particular meeting, I usually sit at one table, but for some reason I decided to sit at the other table that morning. And turned out we had a newcomer, and it was a, so we did a step one. And I thought, well, okay, uh, I'm going to be doing an open talk in a couple of weeks, and so let's give that a, another dry run here. Let's sort of do the short version of, of what I might say in my open talk. And hopefully what I say uh, can touch somebody else, and, and, uh, and especially the newcomer. I was talking to a friend after the meeting who said, oh, I was sitting there and I was thinking, step one, I don't want to do step one. The other table's doing step three. I'd really, maybe I'd really rather do step three. But I'm sitting here and, oh, but I could get up. I could just get up and go to the other table. But no, I'm sitting here. I could, and decided to stay and realized that maybe they really needed to talk about their struggles with their powerlessness over the uh, the alcoholic in their life and that actually it was a good thing that they had sat at that table and that they had not moved um, and uh, you know that happens that happens so often to me um, and I hear from other people it happens to them as, as my friend that was my week a couple of weeks I guess next week We'll be talking with Carrie, and I think the topic is serenity, although we might talk about shame. So they both start with S, but other than that, they have almost nothing to do with each other. So if you have thoughts about serenity, what does serenity mean to you? How or have you found serenity? And how does it feel? How does it feel different from where you were before recovery? Uh, let us know, send us an email or a voicemail and share your thoughts, your experience, strength and hope around serenity. Or if we talk about shame, which we did an episode on shame a couple of years ago and Carrie thinks, hey, maybe it's time to do it again. And I'm like, yeah, totally. I totally get that. Um, that would be a good topic too. Uh, when do you feel shame? How do you feel shame? And how has the program and for me, at least, acceptance helped to to let go of shame and to understand um, that I'm okay and and I don't need to feel that I'm a bad person, which is what shame means to me. So again, share your experience, strength, and hope. Leave us a voicemail, 734-707-8795. Or send us an email to feedback at com. We also have a voicemail button on the website where you can share your voice directly from your computer without having to make a phone call. So please join our conversation. And we'll be uh, looking at your emails and voicemails in a moment. But first, I want to talk about another musical selection that I picked for this episode. This is Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. It's by you 2 You've probably heard this song before. It was a big hit back in the, I don't know, 80s, 90s, sometime around then. Anyway, I picked it sort of as a connection to step five and the, the power in step five of sharing my inventory with another person. You know, I can't do it on my own. I, I need somebody else in order to really uh, accomplish that step. And so a little bit of lyrics. 
Listen to me now. I need to let you know you don't have to go it alone. And it's you when I look in the mirror, and it's you when I don't pick up the phone. Sometimes you can't make it on your own. got some email here and a note from Claire who writes, Hi, I have recently started listening to your podcast as an addition to my regular Al-Anon and online group. For me, it's been a sign that my higher power is looking after me. I listened to last week's episode on rediscovering myself just after a personal coaching session, which had revealed that I have real difficulties expressing what I want for myself. And today I've been thinking about what I will say at a share in a district meeting at the weekend on the subject of choices. Then I looked and saw that this week's episode is on that very subject, serendipity. I really enjoyed the conversation about choices and especially the difference between choices and decisions. I'm at a stage in my life where I'm in a position to make some big life choices. I relate to the concept of freezing and putting off facing up to things so as to avoid choices. However, I also know that taking time to listen to that small, still voice of my higher power, rather than jumping straight into a reaction, is a good way to manage my life and make the right choices for me. I know they are the right choices because I get a feeling of serenity about them, rather than anxiety. I really enjoy your podcast. Keep up the good work. Best wishes, Claire. And thank you, Claire. And I'm glad that I love the way that uh, sometimes it just works out, you know, rediscovering myself and then choices and they, and they both connected to what was happening in your life. It's, uh, yes, higher power moments. Jeff writes, hi there. Thank you for putting together the recent choices podcast. Before I participated, I had the hardest time making any choices that put me out in the open. Perhaps this is because I grew up with alcoholic and heroin addicted brothers and a set of very enabling parents. I received lots of criticism and learned it was easier to just shut up and go along with the crazy. Now that I'm older, I see how that has affected me and caused me countless issues in trying to have normal relationships. I still find it hard when someone asks me simple questions like where I want to eat, go eat, or what movie do I want to see. Thanks to Elanon, I've started to see that I can put myself out there and make decisions, and that's okay. And uh, and Jeff uh, maybe you uh, have already listened to the Rediscovering Myself episode, but we also talk about some of those same issues in there. So you might find it helpful or interesting or at least connect. Another note on the Rediscovering Myself episode. OMG, that show was made for me. I've been struggling with this issue for the past few years and did not realize it until I heard this episode. I have made myself available to everyone in my house and will do whatever they want, whatever makes them happy. I have stopped doing the things that make me happy. I do not know who I am anymore and need to find myself. I have also stopped eating mushrooms and other foods because my fiancé does not like them. I have also realized I do these things because I can handle suffering. It's easy for me to suffer. I would rather suffer than have my family members suffer. You know how many things I have not done because I was trying to please others? Too many. I'm going to make a list of what I like and make a point to do them. What a great show. Thank you. I look forward to your show every week. Lisa. And I think uh, Carrie and I both connect with a lot of that because we've been there. And isn't it great to know that there is a way forward? And it starts with seeing what's going on in your life. Another email from Suzanne. Hello, Spencer. Your podcast is really helping to shape my recovery. My primary fellowship is AA, and I've only dipped my toe into the Al-Anon process. 
Although I had attended a few meetings in the past, your podcast is my primary source of Al-Anon right now, in addition to some literature. I have related to so many of the episodes that every time I listen, I think I want to offer feedback and have not taken the time to do it until now. I started writing this some weeks ago as I was finishing up the meditation episode and wanted to share this meditation podcast called 60 Seconds of Solitude. It is a guided meditation. The host's voice is nice. Often, I have found my challenge in guided meditation is that the leader's voice and I do not connect. My experience is different with this one. In addition, as mentioned in the name, it's 60 seconds. She leads you in and walks you out, some total being about three minutes. After listening to one of the last episodes where your guest introduced the app Insight Timer, I have been loving this for the last week or so, even using it as a way to unwind to sleep. That episode was largely about choices, and I have faced so many this past year. From divorcing my qualifier earlier this year, reworking the 12 steps of AA, and recently choosing to end a career relationship that I found to be riddled with unhealthy behaviors, your podcast has been a great source of guidance, reassurance, and strength. Thank you so much for continuing to bring great topics together with great guests. Suzanne. So much in there, Suzanne. So much. Um, and... Sometimes I feel like I'm not doing such a good job some weeks, and then again, I don't like this, and I'm like, okay, I'm doing okay. So thank you for thank you for that. I did look up that podcast, 60 Seconds of Solitude, and I will put a link to that in the show notes because I subscribed, and I have my podcast player to set to play podcasts just in the order that they arrived. And so sometimes I get that podcast when I'm doing something like driving and I can still kind of relax and breathe, even though I have to keep on paying attention to what I'm doing. I think um, my plan is that when I get caught up, if that ever happens, it happens, I get caught up on my podcast and then I get way behind on my podcast and then I get caught up again. When I get caught up, I think I can set up my particular podcast player to play certain podcasts as priority so that it, that one would come up first. Uh, so it shows up sometime in the morning, and then hopefully it would come up almost right away, and it's a good time for me to listen to it. Anyway, I am liking it, um, and uh, she does have a, a relaxing voice. As I said, even just pausing to sort of focus on my breath instead of my anxieties for a minute is a wonderful thing. Denise writes, Hi, I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now, and I get so much out of it. Thank you so much for being there. I got a ton out of the episode on Choices. There was a reading that Eric read regarding the higher power and that power being a light and helping you find your path. I almost cried when he read that. Thank you. I look forward to continuing to listen, Denise. And yes, Denise, that reading is from Courage to Change. It's November 13th. And a note from Jenny. Hi, Spencer. I hope this message finds you well. Thanks for sharing the recovery show with others. I'm an alcoholic in recovery, 15 months sober, and also live with and love an alcoholic actively drinking who stumbles in and out of recovery. Finding your show changed my life. I think in a lot of ways it saved my life, too. I only found your podcast last month. However, I dug in deep to every episode. I've been driving in the car for the past 20 hours with my dog, and I've been listening to your show. This past two weeks, I started attending Al-Anon again after being absent for over two years. I was able to go to a few meetings and also tell people about your show and how it is a great method of self-help for anyone who feels paralyzed with anxiety because of an alcoholic situation. I struggle a lot with doing positive things to help my recovery. 
I found your podcast to be a great way to help myself when life becomes overwhelming. I recently have temporarily left the situation I was in to take time to myself and my own personal recovery. This would be something I would not have been capable of without AA, Al-Anon, or your show. Thank you. Every time I'm listening to your show, I want to donate to it. I'm sorry that I'm not in the financial position to make a donation. If I won the lottery, I'd donate all the money to the recovery show. Just in case you get a big check one day, I want you to know where it came from. I'd like to suggest Strawberry Fields Forever by the Beatles for a song on your show. Thank you for everything. You saved my life. Jenny. Oh, thank you for sharing that with me, Jenny. And honestly, uh, don't need a great big check. Um, we're doing okay. Uh, I do appreciate the people who are able to support uh, this work. But I don't know what I would do with a great big check. appreciate the thought, though. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, speaking of what Jenny just said. But we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Michelle, Nancy, Margo, and Eric did. Thank you again for your donations. We have also put together a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the books link at the top of the page and order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of those links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, send them to therecoveryshow.com, or just listening to us. We are here for you. And the last song selection is Say You're Sorry by Sarah Bareilles, which you can listen to at therecoveryshow.com slash 166. And this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's, it's also somebody has been wronged and wants at least acknowledgement of that wrong. She says, it's not the curtain closing causing us to call it a day. I want to walk away too, but I want you to say you are sorry. I'm not the one who went and made a mistake. I want to walk away too, but I want you to say you are sorry. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. 